Last year on Tea Thanksgiving, we did one of the most seminal classic rom-coms of all time, Sleepless in Seattle. And as a guy who is up currently with his baby, I could really, 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 really empathize, Tom Hanks. Um, but this year, I'm so glad that we decided to break from the norm. Because today's movie is so unique, so layered, so passionate, that even if it's not, you know, 100% the kind of rom-com we always think of as a rom-com, it's so good that we just couldn't keep it off our list. So whether you've seen this film a couple of times and wrote it off or whether you've you know just heard about it and didn't really give it the time of day or whether you absolutely love and adore this goofy heartfelt sincere just odd duck of a Tom Hanks film as much as we do I hope that you get something out of this episode because it it's like that piece of art that you just want everybody to love for me and for Ryan. So, yeah, sit back, relax. It's John Patrick Shanley's 1990 masterpiece, Joe versus the Volcano. Welcome, everybody, to A Gentleman's Guide to Rom-Coms. I'm your favorite host, Ryan Graves, and with me is your only other favorite host. Uh, that's Kelly McCrillis, but we have a special third favorite host today. <gasps> uh, my name is Robin, and my name is Robin Song, because oh, we shoot. changed our name. Oh, oh right. shoot. Sorry. Kelly it's, uh, Song. Sorry. Uh, I'm Force so sorry. Habit. I'm I've sorry. known him for 10 years like... as Kelly McCrillis. Sorry. I, I... I feel like I just cheated on you, but with my old name rather than my old flame. Wait, what did I'm you sorry. say? What did you say? Did you say the wrong name? I think he's, I said, said the wrong it. name. Oh, You're I said it correctly. I didn't say uh, It's always my fault. <laughs> so, uh, audience, uh, the four of us are sitting here because I'm also wearing uh, the baby Elowen right now. And she, so if you hear anything, go, <sighs> or <sighs> that's her, not us. Uh, promise. Um, the reason we have our uh, famed guest, uh, Robin. Robin, do you want to just introduce yourself and who you are, uh, just be, in case the audience hasn't listened to your other guest episodes? Who, who I am, besides being your wife? Uh, I mean, that's the that's, most important That's my thing, main really. source of identity. That is, uh, <laughs> you are my wife, mother of my child, and it basically ends there. But, you know, just for the people, go ahead and let them know what else you do. Uh, I am also a filmmaker like these two guys, uh, and that's the reason that I met Kelly, actually. We met because of uh, professional connections, and then those professional connections became very personal. Yeah, and in, in, in reality, all those professional connections, like the Wikipedia articles are like, Robin Veda, blah, 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 filmmaker, blah, 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 but on mine it's like, uh, Kelly Song... Um, husband of Robin Song. Uh, and yeah. So, so, yeah. But today we brought on Robin Song. Uh, gosh, it's so fun to say. <laughs> because she is kind of an expert in the movie we're here to talk about today. Which movie is that, Ray? It is Joe versus the Volcano, 1990's greatest film. Yes. Directed by John Patrick Shanley. <laughs> it's my favorite movie. Actually, Ryan, you basically know... 
like why this movie is so special to us. Uh, can you can you elucidate that for our general audience? When Kelly general audience <laughs> general audience when Kelly made his plan to propose marriage to Robin, he masqueraded it behind a was it your birthday? What were we doing yeah. that for? Yeah, it was okay. birthday. So it was at first a birthday party at the theater I was working for where we we're going to watch her favorite movie, Joe versus the Volcano. And Robin's like, that sounds fun. I'll go to that. Well, no, she didn't I, even that was know a that it was, oh, it was a surprise uh, for the movie. The, but you knew just, what did she just you knew get she her was going to come to, to the movie. theater for? Oh, uh, that we were just going to go watch a movie. We'll together. go watch a movie. And Robin's like, what movie? And Kelly's like, don't worry about it. Right. Yeah, and you, Robin, why don't you take it up from here? Because uh, I feel like Ryan wasn't well, behind the you, you <laughs> scenes as much as I thought. Uh, well, Ryan was behind the scenes. He set up the movie. That's right. Uh, I, I set up the movie, had, but I didn't know what Kelly had like promised to. Kelly Robin. basically took me out to dinner beforehand, and then uh, said, "I've you know, I'm going to take you to a movie now." Or I don't know what he said. Like, we're going to our next place. On our what I did was say, ah, "We're going to walk around Powell's for another 45 minutes for no reason because." <laughs> like not everybody had shown up to the movie yeah so he'd organized like all of our friends to be there waiting at the movie theater um for like a late night showing um yeah it was like 9 20 or something when okay. we started it and well, that's, that's we're old me. people yeah yeah <laughs> so I, go I got the movie queued up but meanwhile we also had all of robin's friends record messages to her about oh, why they love right. her and we strung that together so that was the first thing yeah. that we watched on the big screen was all of my friends being like, we love you. And then I proposed and that was whatever. Um, but then <laughs> the most important part of the night is we all had cake and watched Joe versus the volcano, which on the big screen, like so it, was, much it was a lot of first times for a lot of people. Mm-hmm. I, had, I had already seen it once. It was probably your like hundredth time or yeah. so. Gosh, what a great movie. Yeah. yeah. So it was Robin, fun watching people watch it for the first time. What was your introduction to the movie? My introduction with, to the movie was in the early 90s when it was pretty newly out on VHS. Um, mm. Like, I guess it had been out for a few years maybe on VHS. Yeah. And um, my friends and I watched it when we were like preteens. Um, and totally so hopped up on a lot of Mountain Dew. <laughs> yeah, probably. And orange soda. Like, uh, orange soda. Yeah. Orange soda. Yeah. <laughs> orange soda. And at that time in my life, probably hot tamales and yeah. And then I just fell in love with it, I think, for the quirkiness of it at the time. And then as I continued to rewatch it as I aged, I appreciated more and more of it. And then, like, watching it as an adult, not only do I appreciate the filmmaking skill of it, but also the, like, message that it has. Because I've had a chance as an adult to go through some really soul-sucking jobs and yeah. get out of them. Yeah. And I'm just like, yes, Joe! Yeah. So I own this movie on Blu-ray because there was a sale and I was like, oh, you know what? I need to make sure that I always have this movie at my house in case Robin and Kelly are over and we need to watch a movie. I need to make sure that I have Robin's favorite movie at hand. And so last night I got to break that Blu-ray in. I took the shrink wrap off. I was like, all right. You stretched it a little ready. bit. Yeah. Nice. Nice. For those of you listening, that's that's what a good friend is. Somebody who like <laughs> Somebody makes who sure owns to physical media movie. for you. <laughs> <laughs> Make sure you yeah. guys are taken care of. That's also why I have the Princess Bride on Blu-ray. It's like I never know when Kelly may need to watch this, but I need to make oh. sure that's ready for him. Well, guys, that's that'll do it for us here on Romcom Gents today, because <laughs> it's not getting more romantic than that. True yeah. love. That dream within a dream.
well, I just want to hear Robin's like ultimate pitch of like why you should consider this movie because it's it's so like the underrated Tom Hanks movie. Like we talk about Sleepless in Seattle, you've got mail. Why should we consider this movie? Um, I think because there's no other movie like it. And mm. if you go into it trying to judge it based on any other movie you've seen, you might not get it. Um, yeah. But if you go in just thinking this is going to be a new kind of filmmaking, something I haven't quite seen before, um, then you'll appreciate it for exactly what it is. Because um, mm. it is quirky. It is like, you know, done on cheap backdrops sometimes yeah. intentionally. It's so fun. Um, it's as stylized as a Wes Anderson film, but just in a different way. Yeah. Like all the stylistic choices are made very, very intentionally. Yeah. And there's um, so there are so many layers to it. Uh, because mm-hmm. it's not just a rom-com. There's obviously that aspect. Um, but it's also this movie about someone who escapes the corporate soul-sucking job and learns to take a leap and it's live kind of, life. It's kind of a re-coming-of-age story. Yeah. Way. Yeah. Um, and, you know, Tom Hanks, Meg Ryan, can't beat that, of course. Uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> and then there's also just all the layers of um, symbolism in it. Like, mm-hmm. if you look, there are all these little motifs and recurring things. Yeah, why don't you, like, lay those out for us right now? Just because uh, um, I, I think they're infinitely fascinating. It's fun to look for as you're watching it. So there's little things like um, every time you see a duck in the movie, it's when uh, he's being, like, lied to. Or, or having quack a, medicine. Or, or quack medicine, having yeah. a joke uh. played on him. So there's, like, three different times in the movie where you'll see a duck, and it's one when he's in the quack doctor's office, <sighs> two when the boss comes and, like, dupes him into taking this job, and then three at the very end when he's on the island and they're kind of, like, duping him into, like, doing this thing. Yeah. yeah. They're, they're yeah. basically, they're all, like, playing tricks on <laughs> him, like, oh, yeah. beating him with fish, they're and the then fish. he sees the, the, the duck on the luggage. Yeah. 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 <laughs> um, so there's all kinds of little things like that. Um, Ooh, there's also the Crooked Road. Oh, yeah. My favorite is to look for all the, um, you can call it the Crooked Road or the lightning bolt. Um, yeah. It's like, it looks like this big lightning bolt symbol, and it's meant to symbolize the Crooked Road of his life. Um, you know, the fact that it's taken a lot of turns uh, to get to where he is and in the very end he actually says been a long time coming here to meet you a long time on a crooked road because the lightning bolt that takes down the ship is the it's exact the logo of his job yeah it's, so the it's the path that goes to his job it's the logo from his job it's, it's like, on the lamp um like it, it's oh, yeah. the the road that goes up the volcano yep um, it's all kinds of places. It's on the wall and in his apartment. It's just like layered in everywhere. And so when you look for those kind of things, you realize exactly how specific they were in the art direction, the set design for this, um, and how intentional all the symbolism is everywhere throughout. Um, wasn't there something with the Horn of Africa as well? Oh, yeah. So he's named Joe Banks, which is after like a an explorer who uh, who rounded the Horn of Africa back in, you know, I don't know, 1800s or something. Mm-hmm. And also was known for packing ridiculously big luggage. Oh. <laughs> and then they have like the Horn of Africa is the name of the shop that he goes into that he buys oh. all the stuff from. And then at one point when Patricia's reading from the book about the Waponis, uh, it's like the explorers got lost around the Horn of Africa and then like mm. found this little island instead. Yeah. So it's all these just kind of little things that are woven throughout. Oh, you pointed out one that I missed every other time where the um, 
the painting that the second Meg Ryan shows him with the moon mm-hmm. um, is the moon that he sees when he's on top of the boat with the third Meg Ryan. Yeah. Or Man, I'm not really I've seen this movie several times now. And I'm like, I need Robin in the room to point all of these <laughs> I, things out. I know. I feel like it would just be fun for the three of us to get together like sometime this week and watch it again. <laughs> I think this would actually be a great contender for a Patreon movie commentary. For like yeah. the oh, three of us yeah. to sit there and Robin to like points things out and we yeah, try like to watch keep along up with her. With us. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm sure we, we would discover new things as well because every time I watch this, I n- discover a new little Easter egg that's like, oh my God. Oh yeah. The globes. There's like this sequence where it's just, I don't, I don't know what it necessarily symbolizes, but there's the sequence where he and uh, Ozzy Smith is, is that who he is? No. Yeah, what's yeah. his name? Ozzy yeah. Davis. Ozzy Davis. That's his yeah. name. Um, are like going around and shopping. There's globes in every store and it is maybe it's just because they're travel stores and globes are cool <coughs> but like that i i feel like there's like a layer there that i just am not seeing that's mm-hmm. and that's like what feels genius about this movie is so it's like i know you're smarter than me movie and so i'm gonna try to get better so that i can live up to like what you're asking of me yeah and it also does this brilliant job of in parts being surreal yeah and it kind of points out some poignant things with its surrealism and then in other times, it's just really pretty real and yeah. earnest. Um, yeah. Because I think people might discount this movie going into it thinking it's weird. And then it just keeps getting weirder. And you could just be like, these guys were like, hi, Laurie. Like, we're doing acid <laughs> when this movie was being made. Because it doesn't, at certain times, it doesn't feel coherent. Like, it gets to a point where they're like on the ship and they're like fishing. And it's like, what is going on? And he catches the giant hammerhead shark <laughs> yeah. that comes up. And it looks fake. It looks obviously fake. It's it's such a joyous scene, though. Yeah. yeah. And I love how like Dagmar's just looking at him the whole time, shaking your head. No. I, I think it helps if you remember that John Patrick Shanley, the writer-director, is um, a playwright first. And so if you look at it and you think of it as a play and you think of it as like, he's going to do things like have an obviously fake hammerhead shark in there because you would do that on stage. It doesn't matter that it's obviously fake looking. Right. Yeah. And it doesn't doesn't cohere with the other Meg Ryan, Tom Hanks cinematic universe. It's like just this odd left-handed red shoe. It just doesn't totally. No, but you know what? It wouldn't, the Tom Hanks, Meg Ryan universe wouldn't exist without this movie. Right, exactly. Because that's how Nora Ephron discovered Tom Hanks and Meg Ryan as a couple, was yeah. she was shooting another movie on the same lot as Joe vs. Volcano, and then uh, she Harry noticed... Harry Sally, yeah, right? uh, no, uh, no, My Blue Heaven. Oh. And, uh, and she would wander over to the Joe vs. Volcano lot and just kind of hang out, and that's how she noticed them and their chemistry, and was like, I'm going to cast them. Brilliant. Awesome. Yeah. Well, this is a fantastic yeah. intro to our listeners and an intro to this movie. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, well, um, I did read. I I have have more fun facts before I. <laughs> okay. Like, uh, I read a an interview with John Patrick Shanley, uh, like from last year or something, and he was talking about like his inspiration for Joe vs. Volcano, and funny enough, one of the things that I see in the movie as something that's more kind of unbelievable and pushes the boundaries of reality is the office that Joe works in to begin with. Like mm-hmm. it's this dingy office lots of fluorescent lights uh soul-sucking environment but it's uh this place where they make like rectal probes and (laughs) fake testicles and it's like okay you're being like really wacko with this and and lube i want to put it out that the giant thing of petroleum jelly petroleum jelly is probably necessary for the rectal probes (laughs) yeah um but 
So I read this interview with John Patrick Shanley, and he's like, yeah, when I was 18, I was working in this company that made fake testicles. And <laughs> um, <laughs> and he's like, one day I opened up my drawer and there was just all these fake testicles in there because they had like discontinued some and they didn't have anywhere to put them. And so they like put them in my <laughs> desk drawer. <laughs> and he's like, it was exactly that kind of soul sucking. And it's like, it might be a little bit exaggerated, but it he really modeled it on the office that he worked in. Oh, brilliant. Yeah. Well, um, Robin, thank you so much for coming on the show. Uh, we're going to have to kick you off now that we're talking about the story because I need to hand you this baby. Yeah. And use the restroom. And so, like, there's there's a lot that needs to go on before the next section of our show. Sure. Um, but uh, do you have anything to say to the audience? Uh, be, be cool. I don't know. <laughs> what about to Ryan? <laughs> be cool, Ryan. Okay, I'll try. <laughs> All right. Love you, babe. Love you. Please hold for baby transition. Ryan, what is the story of this film? Tell me a story, Turk. Let me tell you a story about love, D'Artagnan. I ask you about love, probably quote me a sonnet. I'm not much more than an interpreter, and not very good at telling stories. That's the end. What do you mean, that's the end? That's not. It's the beginning of something interesting. Listen, that's the end of that saga. The end. The movie is about Joe Banks. Joe Banks. Who has brain cloud. You have a brain cloud. Before we get to brain cloud, though, basically, Joe Banks works a dead-end job at the aforementioned uh, petroleum jelly, rectal probe, and testicle factory, (laughs) which is, like, peak... Like, 1990 has rolled its its weary bones over from the party that was the 80s, and it's looking (laughs) at uber-capitalism and, like, factories, and it's like, holy crap, guys, this is dark. Like this yeah. is some some dark shit, and um, and so we get like the first opening of this film is is Tom Hanks like rolling up to his job in a parking lot where all the cars are parked the same direction, like there's this old lady eating a burger for breakfast or something, <laughs> and uh, they all get out to the tune of. Some people say a man is made out of mud. All man's made out of muscle and blood, muscle and blood and skin and bone, a mind that's weak and a back that's strong. Like, there's only one more song that feels more depressing than the company store, which is um, House of the Rising Sun. Like, those two songs are, like, both dark and they're talking about, like, you know, oh, we're trapped in this this really sad dark time and it's it's like it's hard to live where we're living and it's like the perfect soundtrack to all of these people getting ready to go to this dead-end job that nobody's excited to go to and they're all like throwing trash on the ground like it's the 1950s and we just don't care about our picnic settings and it is it is an epic first scene so it's interesting that you bring up house of the rising sun because the song that is playing for this introduction is by the lead singer from The Animals, which I believe is the one who did House of the Rising Oh, serious? Sun. Oh, well, yeah, maybe maybe I'm, that correlation was just right there then. I think your brain was like, I know this guy. And on, on the Blu-ray, there is a music video for this song. <laughs> and it's really weird because the guy who's singing this song is clearly in his 50s. And we're like, why are you in this music video? You do not look cool. Because they cross cut it with clips from this. Remember when music videos Joe were just 50? It's fine. 
But do you remember when movies, like music videos from the 90s were just promoting movies? Yes. And it was just clips from the movie and they had nothing to do with anything. There was no context. I think the greatest moment of that is there's this Phil Collins movie where he plays a thief. Oh, yeah. Like, uh, so he's not only singing the music, but he's also like, I think the music video is just a whole bunch of (laughs) clips from the movie that has Phil Collins in it. (laughs) Yeah. So weird not weird i mean it's it's already weird to from the get-go this this kind of bluesy down on your luck song and tom hanks has this grody mullet yeah like, he looks like st- a blue the blues brothers cousin that never got out of rehab <laughs> yeah it's the leftover from the 80s you know we're, we're not he's still not in the 90s yet and he's stomping through work. He keeps stepping into puddles. And it's like, dude, watch where you're going. He steps into puddles like four times in a row. Yeah, it's always because he's like distracted by something just off screen. And um, after he steps in the puddle, like he hasn't made it like 30 feet from his car. He hasn't even made it into work and he's already having a horrible day. And he just lifts his hands into the air, which is <laughs> they basically do the opposite shot that Shawshank Redemption copies years later like if you go watch them side by side they're almost identical the the arms race think, to the sky I, I don't think the filmmakers of shawshank redemption were like you know what a good moment from joe versus volcano is i that i wouldn't moment. doubt I don't it think actually I, I i wouldn't <laughs> doubt it just because i feel like this is a filmmaker's movie yeah yeah but it's certainly not the same emotion <laughs> yeah no it's the for. opposite emotion it's the opposite emotion because tom hanks is like i'm imprisoned whereas in shawshank he's like i'm free maybe it's just psychological filmmaking but like the fact that the shot is the same it's the same angle it's the same like it's it's almost like if you watch them side by side they're extremely similar in how he raises his arms to the heaven but the yeah. camera directions are opposite which also makes the feeling very opposite it's like we can't yeah. we can't help this people and we want to get as far as far the away camera, from in this movie the camera drifts up as if there is nothing limiting the cameras that the camera just keep going and it's free but tom hanks is imprisoned he's not free. Ex- it's the exactly opposite. So he gets to this dingy office with fluorescent lights and Mr. Waturi is arguing on the phone. <laughs> and Mr. Waturi's conversations are always like, you know, they're circular in a doomed kind of way where it's like, yeah, you're, you're not solving any problems. You're the worst boss in the whole world. I know he can get the job, but can he do the job? Harry. Yeah, Harry, but but can he do the job? I know he can get the job, but can he do the job? I'm not arguing that with you. I'm not arguing that with you. I'm not arguing that with you. I'm not arguing that with you, Harry. Harry, Harry. Yeah, Harry, but can he do the job? I like the set is just gorgeous because like he goes to he goes to like hang up his hat and the hat rack is broken in five different ways. And so he like <laughs> can't hang up his stuff. And then he goes to make himself coffee. And the the set is done in a very Willy Wonka esque way where like the way it's built, like Tom Hanks actually like it it's it's supposed to be just a flat floor, but Tom Hanks actually walks upward into this hallway that gets smaller and smaller toward like a coffee table that has a like bad coffee and bad creamer and it's just yeah. like 
Tom Hanks's makeup is so pancaked white, yeah. so he looks yeah. unhealthy. Everything is unhealthy about this office. Meg Ryan's there, and you almost miss her because she's just she doesn't have that vivacious Meg Ryanness. She's also like just sad and mousy, and yeah, it's Meg Ryan number one. Yeah, Meg, Ryan, Meg first Ryan Meg Ryan several, in this movie, and it, she this first one's named Dee Dee. And she's wearing brown eye contacts, so her her eyes are a different blue, color. Yeah, they're brown eyes, and she's wearing a wig, and she's got brown hair. And I gotta say, of all the Meg Ryan's in this movie, I think this one's the cutest. <laughs> well, that's because you're you're into ladies with brown eyes and brown hair that are short <laughs> that's and mouthy. Exactly what Sarah said. I'm like, you know, this looks really working for me. She's like, I know that's because she's your type. That's what she looks like right now. Granted, <laughs> I I think she's very cute as well. So basically, Joe's just having a bad day and his boss comes in and he's like, you suck at your job. And Tom Hanks is like, well, you're not helping me with my job. I love this moment because at my last job, I had this all the time where we always like we weren't allowed to purchase anything to to do stuff. Yeah, so we only your had higher to, ups could. Yeah. So we're always like emailing our boss like several times of like, hey, our customer needs X. We're out of X. You need to buy X. And then they wouldn't buy X. We would tell them several times to get X. And they're like, uh, okay, I'll, I'll get it. And then the cus- the deadline comes for us to get this thing to the customer. And our boss is like, why didn't we get this to them? And we're like, you didn't order it. <laughs> and we get yelled at in the same way. It's, did you remind me last week? Well, I reminded you two weeks ago. Did you remind me last week? <laughs> Just like, oh, the the argument is so real. I know. I, I felt this micromanaging like it's it's almost the it's the sin it's the great sin of micromanagement where it's like we're gonna keep complete tabs on you and give you no power except that when everything's your fault everything's your fault even though you have no power to change it and when it's my fault it's your fault oh my god it's just so real um and (laughs) i just love the retort where he's like get those catalogs and tom hanks is like please order them (laughs) (laughs) you have to do it and and it's like so uh on the others like (coughs) the other thing that tom hanks is trying to do to survive this job is he brings a lamp in from and he has been doing this for a while he brings a lamp from home that has like, you know, a tropical setting on it. And it's the only mm-hmm. tungsten like light in this whole place. It's warm yeah. and glowing. And I actually think in the in the frame that we have that that first light turn on um, where he f- flips the switch on this lamp. I think they they upped the saturation of this lamp compared to the rest of the celluloid where they probably desaturated it because it felt. It felt very distinctly different from the rest of the scene. Yeah, I'm I'm wondering how they actually shot this because, you know, back in the day they shot everything on film and like today we would just like digitally alter stuff like that. But to capture it in such a way that make the office look so like artificially like blue cold, like, you know, they could have they could have Wizard of Oz it where they actually made the entire set cold and mm-hmm. um, like the like the, this this office is so manufactured like the door to his office is wood you can hear it when they close the door but it's painted to look metal almost as if he's like trapped behind this this steel door and so Mm -hmm. i think maybe that could have just all been practical well they definitely did a wizard of oz trick later because uh so what happens is tom hanks is not feeling well so he has a doctor's appointment so Mm. oh yeah that's right 
So he goes to this doctor's office and the sets are so cool. Like he, this waiting room is this very narrow set and it's very white. It's very sterile, but gross sterile. Yes. Like Like it has um, those walls that just have a million holes in them. Yeah. It's like Stanley Kubrick sterile. Yes. Like you don't feel comfortable. So Robin and I paused the movie on this exact scene where you have like the nurse in the foreground and he's just sitting in the back and it just feels so gross. And we paused it to like take care of the baby or something. And I turned to her and I was like, this is very Kubrickian. Like, yeah, everything about these shots, like you could pause in any shot in this movie and it would almost feel genius. Yeah. And so he the doctor lets him in and the it's in the next room and he opens the door and it's a completely different set. It's this rich, warm mahogany doctor's office with a fireplace and it's just red and gold and velvet. And it's so luxurious. It, oh, it just feels. Yeah. Wizard of Oz is the best comp. Like, but it, it, it feels like walk, walking from Kansas to Oz. Yeah, because it's kind of like a Doctor Who moment where you're going from the mm. TARDIS to like a, an alien set, and it just feels like, how could this thing be on the other side of this thing? And that office shouldn't be there, but because of movie magic, it is there. Yeah, and so he basically talks to this doctor who Robin pointed out was also the actor from um, Unexplained Mysteries. Yeah. Um, which oh, yeah. automatically gives him some gravitas. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and he's like... Basically, there's nothing wrong for you except that you have a brain cloud, which is this dark spot on your brain, which will basically kill you in six months, but has no symptoms. And so (laughs) Joe Banks, who is a hypochondriac, is like kind of freed from this existential like like he, he always thinks something's wrong with him. But now that there's nothing wrong with him except that he's going to die, he's freed from worry because he knows when he's going to die. He doesn't have to worry Mm -hmm. about it every single day. And so as he leaves this office, it is one of my favorite shots in all of cinema. He walks down some stairs, opens a door, and we just get (laughs) a very, very slow pullout of Tom Hanks walking out on the sidewalk. And the first thing he sees is this little old lady in a giant Great Dane. And he walks up slowly to this Great Dane, still one shot, and touches the Great Dane and then hugs the Great Dane and then Uh hugs the lady. And you can just tell that he is a changed man. This is a movie... That I can with full confidence say this is the exact kind of movie that Kelly and Robin would make. Yes, it is. Is like that's such a humanistic moment where we see humanity and pathos. It's like these are the things that Kelly and Robin care about. And I, I, I think it was so cool when Robin showed me this movie for the first time because it was the first movie we watched together. Um, it oh, was brilliant like, on her couch. It was like a date night where we made food from like a HelloFresh box or something like that. Oh, nice. also. Blue Apron, HelloFresh, get at us. Um, <laughs> We're free for advertising. <laughs> um, but we watched this movie and I had zero expectation going in because myself, like probably most of the movie going world, just heard of Joe versus Volcano. And I thought it was a, basically in the same camp as Splash or like any of the Tom Hanks movies that's like, this is fine. Right. But it's so much better than that. Yeah. And. Don't be betrayed by the 5.9 on IMDb. I I rated it a 10 today just to get that up there. Nice. Um, nice. But so his car is like this short little white car. And uh, as we'll see later on when he gets a a, like a a classier car, it's almost the same exact car. It's just expanded. Oh, (laughs) gosh. This movie's got layers. (laughs) I know this movie. 
Okay, so what happens next? He goes back to his job after this. And he has a, a great Tom Hanks freak out where he yells at his boss and he goes up to Dee Dee and he's like, Dinner, Dee Dee. And she's like, Yeah, okay. <laughs> uh, and he's like, Tom Hanks, I think, is the perfect middle ground between like, if on one hand you have Daniel Day Lewis and on the other hand you have Bill Murray. Right in the middle, you'll find Tom Hanks, especially when he's like losing his shit because yeah, he, he has this sense of like power and gravitas. But at the same time, he can pick up a, a disembodied arm and start slapping somebody in the head with it. And you're like, mm-hmm. oh, I don't want to freak this guy out because he could kill me. Right yeah, but I, I the, this movie is just full of Tom Hanks moments and that there's something about hollywood personas like tom hanks that is so singular it's like ah, i gotta get a tom hanks movie in today and it just hits all those things where Ugh. he just has so many great mannerisms that are just so much fun we get him in every tom hanks movie where he's like like a one tom hanks mannerism is where he like uh, moves his head up and down a little bit too quick and he goes ah, 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 ah. yeah <laughs> like yeah like it's so hard to describe but it's such an an ism that i look forward to seeing and makes me so happy and so he and Dee Dee go on this date where he's like, Who am I? That's the real question, isn't it? Who Who am I? Who are you? What other questions are there? What other questions are there, really? If you, you want to understand the universe. Embrace the universe. The, the door to the universe is you. Me? You? Me? You are really intense. Am I? I, I guess I am. He's loving every minute of life. And mm-hmm. Dee Dee is such a simple lady where she's just like gosh you're so intense and wonderful and it's just a nice sweet little date scene and then they get back home and he tells her like right before they are basically about to bed down um he tells her that he's dying and he only has six months to live and she's like that's too much for me and she leaves him Uh uh-huh and so poor tom hanks is alone and then the next morning who should show up but mr grayenmore Granmar, 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 played by Lloyd Bridges, and so the weird connection from is, Airplane. <laughs> he's from Airplane, but so is Robert Stack, who's the quack doctor. Yep. Oh, we learn later he's a quack doctor. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, spoiler alert. But they they both were in Airplane, so there's this weird kind of like eccentric resume <laughs> of comedy roles these guys are bringing in. And- uh, and so he pops in and he has like the duck cane and he's just like this eccentric, like monopoly man kind of guy mm-hmm. where he's super rich and he's super eccentric. And he's like, he basically pitches Tom Hanks on the idea. He's like, look, I heard from this doctor, Dr. Ellison, that you are dying and I need somebody to jump in a volcano on an island because this island has a a, th- a thing uh, that I need. Has a mineral. It has that- a mineral. That will help me sell some, make and sell semiconductors, but the Waponi won't give that to me unless I can give them a trade, and I can trade them you for the mineral, and you're dead anyways, so you might as well just jump into this volcano. Uh, so I want to describe the Waponi really quick as, as described in the movie. So the Waponi like, live on this island in the South Pacific, um, and they are described as... 1800 years ago, a Roman galley with a whole like crew of Druids and uh, Jewish people and and like other <laughs> slaves um, like crash landed on this island and like grew this weird proto-European mixed with Roman, mixed with Jewish, mixed with like Polynesian culture. 
And so there's this weird island that is weird for so many ways. Like they love orange soda. orange soda is basically what their culture revolves around. Which is where do they get the orange soda if they're completely cut off from society? I don't know. I think it's... It doesn't I, matter. <laughs> I'll have to look this up or ask somebody. <laughs> it's like, what's the orange soda thing? But there's got to be there's got to be a reason. Um, but anyway, so as long as if, if Joe takes this job of jumping in the volcano to appease the volcano so that all of these people will give the mineral mineral rights to um, Mr. Gray and Moore, then Mr. Gray and Moore will give Joe basically a bunch of money and have him live like a king for 20 days. And it's like the exchange since Joe's going to die in six months anyway. Live like a king, die like a man. <laughs> That's a great line. And so Joe takes, takes him up on it. Um, and then like over the next day, he basically spends a really awesome day with Ozzie Davis uh, who's like mm-hmm. his driver who has like this great philosophy on life and clothes and like just has a I, I love Ozzie Davis in this movie there's this conversation they have in the back of his limo where he's just asking Joe questions and like every time afterwards he's like yep yep <laughs> yep <laughs> and well this is a great philosophy movie in general like I it feel is like uh, this would be a great movie to show your intro to philosophy 101 class to like get things rolling, get things started. Yeah, be- because okay, be- what do we have? We have um, the crooked road of life, right? Yeah, like well, I mean, just going back to Ozzy Davis, like he's like, because Tom Hanks is like, uh, I need to buy some clothes, and Ozzy Davis is like, what kind of clothes do you want? And Tom Hanks is like, I don't know, and yeah. he's like, well, I don't know who you are. I don't know you, and I don't know who you are. So how am I supposed to describe you clothes? It took my whole life to figure out who I am, and I don't want to spend any other time figuring out anyone else's life, which is great. It's so great. And um, then there's also like the leap. Like there's so many moments in this movie where like Tom Hanks talks about like taking a leap or Meg Ryan talks about taking a leap. And yeah, the movie all leads to taking a leap into a volcano. But we'll get there. Yeah. So he gets all the clothes. He finally gets rid of that ugly mullet. God. Yeah. He gets <laughs> a nice worst. haircut. The worst Tom Hanks hair, I think, ever. Like, I'll take Castaway Tom Hanks hair over this mullet. <laughs> and this is very Castaway-esque. <laughs> yeah. But but intentionally, it's intentionally bad. Yeah, um, absolutely. And then not only that, but he, he, like, buys a bunch of stuff. And my one of my favorite characters, like, this movie is, like, oops all characters. It, it's the luggage guy. Yes. So Tom Hanks goes and buys luggage from this guy who is just so into luggage. He's like the luggage sommelier. Yeah. And and he I I just want to play a bit of his dialogue right here. Have you thought much about luggage, Mr. Banks? No, I never really have. It's the central preoccupation of my life. You travel the world. You're away from home, perhaps away from your family. All you have to depend on is yourself. And your luggage. Yeah, I guess that's true. Are you traveling light or heavy? Heavy. Flying? Flying and by ship. An ocean voyage? Yes. Ah, yes. So. A real journey. It's like we're we're watching an episode of Monty Python, but that has a like a central thesis <laughs> around it. Yeah. Because what does he say? Like Tom Hanks gets four of these steamer trunks, which are absurdly large, but do look luxuri- luxurious. And he he's like, I'll take four. And the, the guy was like, may you live to be a thousand years old, sir. Thanks. Same to you. 
<laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, so Tom Hanks um, tries to convince Ozzy Davis to like spend the evening with him, but Ozzy Davis has a life and a family, and so mm-hmm. Tom Hanks has to spend the night alone, and then he travels to L.A., and that's where we meet Meg Ryan number two. I'm the daughter of the guy who hired you, Angelica Granamore. I'm a flipper to gibbet. Which is my favorite Meg Ryan of the three Meg Ryans. This she, is she's so definitely fun. the most character. Hi, I'm Angelica. I'm Angelica. <laughs> and she has the best lines in the movie, for sure. Like, uh, Tom Hanks, like, describes something to her at one point in time. And she, this is Robin's favorite line in the movie, where she goes, I was an advertising librarian for a medical supply company. Oh, I have no response to that. That's yeah, so good. And she just has this breathy delivery of every of everything. And it's just uh it shows Meg Ryan's range. So you would never expect this movie to show us Meg Ryan's range, but it's like she's not some cutie patootie actress that we see in the nineties, the you've got male actress. We see this all these different iterations of Meg Ryan is just very dynamically different. And this movie does a good job of like finding the middle ground between like hiding it, but not in a showy way where like they give her sunglasses and they give her a different hair and different eye color. But the first time I watched this movie, I didn't realize it was Meg Ryan at first because mm-hmm. like nobody told me. I, I was just like, OK, that's Meg Ryan at the beginning, which also didn't look like the Meg Ryan we know because, mm-hmm. you know, she had brown hair and then she has red hair. And um, Dee Dee's voice is just, or Angelica's voice is just so weird and different that it's almost distractingly not Meg Ryan in a yeah. good way. And it goes back to Robin's like take on the movie is that John Patrick Shanley's the playwright, and this is such a play thing where you have the same actors playing multiple roles. Yeah, totally. I didn't even think of that. Um, so basically, they just have a night together where Tom Hanks is able to talk about philosophy a little bit more, and they like have dinner and she destroys a crab and <laughs> and she's like a painter and a poet. And there's, they just have like this funny conversation on the hillside where Tom Hanks is able to like more elucidate to us that he, he is kind of free from worry in a weird way right now. Mm-hmm. Whereas sh- her life is so tied down to like this money that she's taking from her dad. And she's like living in LA and she can't get out and Tom Hanks is just like kind of like, well, why not? Like, mm-hmm. I'm Tom Hanks. You can do whatever you want. <laughs> Come on. Um, <laughs> I'm a privileged boomer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But also he's like this character isn't. But like he I don't know. There's like she's she's super privileged. And he's like, you don't have to be. <laughs> and like we kind of get that throughout their their interaction. He's changed her life somehow. Yeah. Um, and she she offers to have sex with him at the end of the night. And he's like, and he's no. like, I'm good. <laughs> and so what we have is between Dee Dee, where he wanted to have sex and she said no. And then with Angelica, like she wants to and he says no. There's like this weird balance. Yeah, because with Angelica, it's not a connection. They have like it's not ro- it's not romantic where it, it almost it's, it's I can't tell if Angelica actually wants anything with him or just would like to you know, get off and, you know, move on. Cause I don't think we don't see like a real romantic connection. Like we see with uh, Patricia later. No, but it looks like she just needs connection of some kind because yeah, when, she's very when, lonely when she drops him off, she's like, I could come up <laughs> and he's like, no, that's okay. <laughs> I'm, I'm good. <laughs> and I love how she asked him to breakfast the next day. And he's like, he's almost like, yeah, fine. I guess that's fine. 
That's I like those are the those are the moments where I was like I would do exactly that where I would feel bad and so breakfast's like yeah I'll do breakfast uh, I'll at least do that and yeah so that's it that's 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 the movie everyone no she she basically drops him off the next morning and um, hello Patricia hello Angelica hello Patricia we meet Patricia. The third and final form of Meg Ryan, it's which the is Charizard of yeah, Meg Ryan. Yes, it feels like <laughs> it feels like we have the Pokemon evolution of Meg Ryan here, where we get to the one that we all know and love, which is blonde, happy, go lucky. Yeah, like very just much her girl next persona. door, Meg yeah, Ryan. Totally. And she's she's like gives him a hard time um, at the beginning, and we get that her and Didi or her and Angelica are sisters, and their dad is Mister Graham Moore. Yeah, and you know, is never around. He's he's totally. He's a bad dad because he's super rich and he's the opposite of Tom him. Hanks. He's a bad dad. He's the bad dad. So they embark on this yacht cruise to this Polynesian South Pacific island, um, and we don't meet. We're not formally introduced to Dagmar, who is played by Amanda Plummer, who is Swedish, because I didn't catch her accent the first time around by watching subtitles. And every time Dagmar speaks, it says in Swedish accent. It's like, oh, she's Swedish, I guess. Yeah. And if you don't know who Amanda Plummer is, she's the one who um, has like basically the first great line from Pulp Fiction. She's the Mm -hmm. one of the two um, thieves who hold up the diner. And she's the sister in So I Married an Axe Murderer. Yes, she is. And she's daughter to Christopher Plummer. So she is. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, we meet Dagmar and the crew, and they have this like fishing incident where they get this hammerhead shark for whatever reason. I still don't understand the point of the scene, but I think it's fun. We get that Tom Hanks and Meg Ryan have like this weird chemistry when she comes on board, or when he comes on board, but then like she doesn't know why he's there and she like opens up and is oddly vulnerable about her life. And then like, it just seems very serious at first. Mm -hmm. And, but Tom Hanks is chill. And then we see him have fun really for the first time in the movie. Yeah. And so I think it's just that we're seeing the evolution of, of Tom Hanks's character as Joe, like realize that life is kind of fun in a weird way. It seems silly and seems very eighties montage. But yeah, I think it's it's oddly necessary in a way where like you could cut it from the movie and it wouldn't change anything about the plot. But there's something so heartwarming about the scene that feels necessary in the moment. Yeah, I, I feel like this is the part in the movie where a mainstream audience would just be kind of like, what is going on? Because it, it does get kind of derailed from the plot. And I think it's funny because it's the most mainstream part of the movie. I But is it like what do you no, like, like? Like it feels like a an like a classic 80s comedy scene, even though it doesn't fit the rest of the film. Yeah, I can just imagine, I can anticipate a classic critic saying, it, it distracts from the plot at hand and the story gets totally derailed by the sequence. When I'm like, calm down, it, this yeah. is fun. <laughs> it's fun. And we're getting to it, just, just relax and have a good time. And so he finally admits to Meg Ryan, um, as, as they're slowly falling in love, he admits to her like what he's doing, which is going to jump in a volcano. And she's like, that's craziness. Yeah. Um, and again, he is rejected. But then yeah. the storm comes. There's a big storm. I love the preempt to the storm where Meg Ryan is sitting at the 
front of the boat. What's with the this like silk called? PJs, uh, the prow. The prow, I guess. I think it's the prow. Stern sure. in the prow. And uh, it's got this very magical green fog going, like very green. Like the production design of this whole movie, every scene is just so eccentric. I was, you know what? And I was so amazed at like the amount of work that went into the boat scenes because some of them are a real boat out on an ocean with our characters on it, yeah. like just surviving big waves. And then on, on other scenes, we're on a studio lot where mm-hmm. it's just like, a giant indoor pool where they are creating the waves themselves. And yeah. it's just, I don't know, a lot of work went into these scenes. So we, sh- we should mention this movie was produced by Steven Spielberg. Yeah, and so Kathleen Kennedy. A, it's an Amblin production, so it is of the same, not, I, I mean, I guess it doesn't have nearly the same money as an Indiana Jones movie, but it's still Steven Spielberg's people. Yeah, I mean, the movie had about $25 million in budget, which for 1990 is a lot. Yeah, and they don't make movies like that anymore. They either make superhero movies or they make like million dollar movies. They don't make weird handcrafted movies where it has fun sets like this. Yeah, this is much like the luggage that becomes such a character in the movie where the guy is like, it's handcrafted and the movie feels handcrafted where every scene is intentional. Yeah, because there's these backdrops that Robin mentioned before where... Uh, I can't remember if it was him and Dee Dee or him and Patricia, but it's got this gorgeous, evocative city backdrop. And it's painted, and you know it's fake, but it looks it, – it's evocative. It it has a feeling to it. And now people just have green screen, and they just throw on an a, 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 like a realist, realistic backdrop, and it's just like – you kind of get duped by the movie thinking, oh, they're in L.A. But this is like you're never duped. You know you're looking at a movie, but that's that's why it's so pleasurable. Yes, I, I agree. I, there's something where in cinema, even if you're even if you're telling a lie, sometimes that like, oh God, this is so stupid. Sometimes <laughs> that lie is telling the truth even better than it would have otherwise. And like having having all these fake backdrops makes the world feel cohesive it's like any other art form where you're whether it's a play or if it's a comic strip or if it's any other kind of art or animation you're abstracting something and the abstraction of the thing is more descriptive than the thing itself correct and so there's this giant storm and um dagmar has this classic line that i also love Looks like we're in for a blow. (laughs) (laughs) And um, Tom Hanks and Meg Ryan have this great, great kiss in the rain. It's I think it's top 10 favorite movie kisses. It's a great kiss. Mm -hmm. And then she gets knocked off the boat and Tom Hanks jumps in after her to save her because Dagmar's like, you watch after her. Yeah. And um, then they survive by like tying luggage together. And there's this extended sequence where Tom Hanks survives on his luggage that he's tied together with Mm -hmm. Meg Ryan and she's passed out and he keeps giving her water and not drinking water. (laughs) And he's like playing golf and he's like dancing to songs on the radio. And it ends in, I think one of the greatest moments in cinema history that I didn't know existed until a couple of years ago where Mm -hmm. the moonrise sequence Mm -hmm. where he's dying, he's hasn't had water in days. And then the moon rises and it's so big and it's a fake moon on a fake backdrop, but it, it's so amazing. And I love that this is coming out on Thanksgiving because he basically just falls to his knees at the grandeur of it all, raises his hands and... Dear God, whose name I do not know. 
thank you for my life. I forgot how big. I think it's, it's so essential writing wise that he didn't say, I forgot how big life is or I forgot how big the world is or something. It's just, I forgot how big mm-hmm. and it hits me in, in the heart, the heart strings. Yeah. Like it just, it really hits hard. Yeah. Cause the, the line after it is thank you for my life. Yeah. And it's just the more I age, the more rich it becomes with the people that I have a son now, you know, a few years ago it was just me and my wife, but now it's me and my wife and my son and my life keeps getting bigger. And it's a good reminder to be thankful for your life. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, it's the film's epiphany, just like Elliot's riding his bicycle across the moon. Seeing this moonrise is the same feeling of ah, Yeah. Not, it's not a H a W E. Ah, 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 ah. Um, so they finally crash land on the Pony Island and they both survive. <laughs> so um, did you hear the different songs that the Waponies sing for them as they come in? Yeah. Uh, there's, there's some oy vays going on. Um, there's like this Yiddish, there's classic Yiddish The other song, did you catch it? I was like, I know that song. It's the ants go marching in. Yes, that's right. And so it goes, the ants go marching one by one, hurrah, hurrah. hurrah. The ants go marching one by one, hurrah. And the song. But they don't sing it. They sing it in like whatever they sing it in Waponi. But it goes two by two, hurrah, three by three, hurrah. So (laughs) the ants go marching. Where else have we seen ants marching? Maybe when Tom Hanks at the beginning of the movie is marching to his job and they're marching in three by three, hurrah, hurrah. Like that's exactly how his life had started when we we started this movie. So just another brilliant layer. And and it's honestly like, so when basically they're taken care of and there's this funny scene where it's like, it's like Nathan Lane and um, Abe Abe Vigoda as like these like leader of the tribe and slash medicine man. And it's kind of like they're doing Polynesian Jewish drag. Yeah. And at first I was like a little worried. I'm like, Oh man, are people going to be like offended by this? I'm like, who would be offended by this? Because they've made such a fictional nationality where exactly no one like this exists in the world. I I could see how if they did this wrong, it would be super offensive. But the fact that it's, like this age old fiction where like this Celtic, like Roman Jewish Druidic nation landed in Polynesia. It's like, I, I, I completely forgive this part of the movie. <laughs> it's it not even feels, something that needs to be forgiven. Yeah. It feels absurdly fictional and exactly. absurdly made up. And so like they're, they're all sending him up the mountain and uh, Meg Ryan's like, Hey, don't, don't just go to your death. And like, while they're singing this ants go marching, it's, He's walking up the mountain and it's the same road that he walked up to his job earlier. And he's just doing what he's been told, Mm -hmm. which is exactly the same problem he had at the beginning of the movie. So even though he has more perspective, he's still trapped Mm -hmm. in this like same life road. So he goes up about to jump in and Megaron's like, wait, at least marry me. He's like, I don't want to get married. She's like, what? You'll be married for 30 seconds. Is it that bad? He's like, "Okay, fine. So the chief marries them. Yeah, and then they they hold hands and jump into the volcano. It's it's this they take a leap of faith. They're like, we don't know what's going to happen. 
And it's kind of absurd because it's like, there's no reason for Meg Ryan to do this, really. Yeah. Um, it's just that she is a little directionless and like loves Tom Hanks, which in any other movie, you'd have to suspend your disbelief so hard to like get on board with this. But for some reason, like, I'm just like, yeah, this movie's absurd and this makes sense. Go jump into the volcano. So they, they jump into the volcano and instantly the volcano spits them back out for reasons I don't care. <laughs> It shoots them out into the ocean and then the volcano explodes and the whole <laughs> island sinks. <laughs> Basically, the movie's like, hey, if you think that you have meaning, you probably don't. Yeah. But so just it, enjoy life. Yeah. There's a life to enjoy anyways. It probably won't lead to anything momentous. It'll probably just be your life itself is the momentousness. It's not you're not fated to do this one thing. And so, uh, yeah, our, our characters are like, hey, we're married now and we're yeah. stuck on our um, luggage like we were before in the middle of the ocean. And Meg Ryan says, where are we going to go? And Tom Hanks says, away from the things of man, mm-hmm. which is, again, just the most optimistic, true, I want to live my life like this philosophy. <laughs> yeah. And they figured out that Tom Hanks isn't actually dying and that he oh, yeah. had a quack doctor because Meg Ryan's like, oh, that's. That's dad's doctor. They set you up. They tried to trick you. And he's like, oh, man. So they get he gets to have a full life. I love how Tom Hanks is like fine with being tricked. He's like, I'm such an idiot. Like, <laughs> like I, I shouldn't be tricked like this. And he starts like feeling around for his throat. And he's like, you know, unconfident again. And she's like, no, no, it's fine. You have your whole life ahead of you now. We faced death and now we can just do whatever we want. Yeah, I like hearing that a character in his early 30s has his whole life ahead of him. Like, oh, good. I need that reassurance. Oh, yeah, thank God. <laughs> well, I, I think that's that's the story. So should we um, sail on over to Trope Talk on some luggage? Yeah. And we're back with Trope Talk. It's like Yacht Talk with, with more sinking. <laughs> Great. That's great because we've done Yacht Talk before, but I think it's important that we did it for this movie. Because there's a yacht. And it sinks. <laughs> Man, I'm, I was bummed that the Tweedledee sank. It seemed like a good boat. There's still the Tweedledum. Yeah, that's true. So today's trope is the hero's journey, or uh, as it's commonly also known, uh, the monomyth. Yeah. Um, it was created by uh, Lord Joseph Campbell. Um, he's is not he a lord? a lord? No, he's not. But uh, he's the lord of, of most modern storytelling, both good and bad. Um, mm mm-hmm. Where he was, he was a teacher and a philosopher, and he knew a lot about like uh, psychology. He was very influenced by Carl Jung. Mm-hmm. Um, well, he discovered that cultures all across time in our history, cultures that haven't even talked to each other, all come up with the same hero's journey. Right there is there is this narrative pattern that exists across stories, across yeah. um, like socioeconomic backgrounds, across. Um, across like cultures that have almost nothing to do with each other they will all have something that resembles the hero's journey so let's let's talk about like what those elements are so the first element is that you have your hero and the first thing he encounters is the call to adventure and it's a thing person deity goes to the person and says i need you to accomplish this task and or maybe it's not even a person, but it's just laid before them like the Odyssey. Odysseus has to get home. And so that's right. That's his call to adventures that he needs to get home to his wife and his child. And the hero's journey done well, it doesn't like follow this pattern exactly in its story. It 
it has its story and then it pulls elements from the hero's journey that are more like like they're like plot point totems almost yeah um but like the matrix morpheus comes to neo and calls him and he's like come enter the matrix it's an adventure bro yeah and then you you have your like supernatural aids and uh there's uh, the the guardian the the threshold guardian right uh yes yes uh. <laughs> sorry i'm pulling i'm pulling a lot of this uh from memory so if we're idiots don't worry about it that should be you're saying the, the guardian is the one calling to adventure no generally the the threshold guardian is like um it begins the transformation so in this movie it would be the mm. um it would be the doctor, Dr. Ellison, who's like, basically, this is what you have going on with you. And this is your problem that you're going to overcome. It's Lloyd Bridges who comes in and actually gives him the call of, exactly. of here's your task. I'm calling you to this adventure, literally, mm-hmm. like very literally, very literally. And so like now he's off on this adventure. But what does he need to get through this adventure? He needs a mentor or yeah. as it's kind of like described as the wizard. That would be your Obi-Wan Kenobi. Yeah. The guide who will transform you and send you on your way. So Ozzy Davis, like we said, is like the clothes make the man. And so like he helps Tom Hanks find himself because Ozzy's the one who sets up the hair appointment. He takes him to the correct like clothes store, luggage store, um, all those places and helps Tom Hanks discover the power that he has. Right. And um, after after he has become a little bit more of the person he's going to become, he has to face challenges and obstacles and um, temptations. Yes. And and that is basically Dee Dee where the um, temptress, he has to encounter the temptress. the temptress and he has to reject the temptress. And he does so by rejecting <laughs> Dee Dee. Um, but no, well, I, he doesn't I, reject Dee Dee. He rejects. Or, sorry, uh, Angelica. Angelica. Yeah. I'm Angelica. Yeah, so um, he he rejects her, which wasn't much of a temptation, but he temp- he rejects her temptations nonetheless. You're kidding me. But then he also like you know transforms a little bit by like helping her out, and um, you know in a classic, very basic hero's journey, he just would have like rejected like uh, maybe a, a a mermaid or something, um, or like some some sort of temptress, and then killed her or like just escaped with his life. But with this, he's like, no, I'm gonna you know. I'm going to help you out and, you know, give you a little bit of my philosophy in the meantime. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then then after that, you have the the abyss, mm-hmm. which is, you know, for I, I think the boat, right, um, going down and capsizing. Yeah. yeah, you go into the depths of the universe and you go into the depths of the world and you have to come out the other side. And so the Odyssey, it's just episode after episode of being caught between rocks and hard places and <laughs> not <laughs> which getting- is which is also called. A uh, skill in Charybdis, right? Charybdis, yeah, uh-huh. yeah. And you don't want to get caught into the flotsam and jetsam of of the of the the sea. So he has to navigate those waters. And then once he does emerge, he he has to trans. He has to basically go through a transformation where it's like your closeness to death has changed you, and that's basically him accepting he's going to die on on the luggage, and then seeing the moon and just being grateful for his life even if he's been sad for a lot of it he's just like finds this gratefulness that changes who he is which is something that we see in the story of the green knight of sir gawain and the green knight it's the that's the exact theme that that story is pursuing as well both in the film and the literature 
Um, and then the final task of the hero is to become immortal, as it were. And so in The Matrix, it's like Neo finding his eudaimonia of just becoming like the Matrix. Like He's like, I control things in The Matrix. I'm a deity. Right. Or Luke Skywalker like discovering his Jedi mastery. And it only comes generally after a sacrifice. So with like Neo, he saves trinity and he saves morpheus but then he gets shot right yeah and and so he he basically sacrifices himself it's also called like an atonement or Mm -hmm. a um as a sacrifice basically yeah or like luke when he faces the emperor he throws away his lightsaber and says i will not fight my father exactly um and then um i mean the the like the last part of it is basically like you've you've accomplished your task and now you return home. Um, but in this, you're spit towards home. (laughs) Yeah. Um, he, he jumps off and that's his great atonement is he's like, um, it's, and this, this movie's so, it's so philosophical though, that it's not like he's, he's saving anyone. It's like, he's giving up on, on like, I don't know. This is what makes this movie so unique is he basically says, you know what? the the world doesn't really matter as much because i'm i'm happy yeah cuz he doesn't save the galaxy cuz neo like saves i don't know what neo saves he saves morpheus and trinity and the sequels whatever he keeps hope alive but luke saves the galaxy because of his interactions with vader and palpatine he mm-hmm. he helps destroy the evil but tom hanks really just discovers himself which i think is just as valuable yeah agreed and then they literally return to the the place where he discovered, you know, his his true self, which is the luggage. And he mm-hmm. just continues on the journey to the next call of adventure. Yeah. So this is just a great, like, universal tale. It may yeah. seem like a quirky, like, nothing. It's like nothing else. It's like, and yet it's hitting after these very deep mythological roots. Yeah. And so, yeah, that's that's the trope for the day. What would you recommend this movie, Rye? I would highly recommend this movie. Just people need to be made aware that it's not going to be a run-of-the-mill Tom Hanks make Ryan movie, like as if you've got Mail and Sleepless in Seattle's run-of-the-mill. But it's not something it'll catch you off guard completely, and you got to just roll with it. I don't think this is a rom-com per se. It has a lot of good rom-com elements to mm-hmm. it, though. It's it's more just like. An existential rom-com by way of Terry Gilliam. Yeah, and, totally. And um, who who directed Waking Dead Divine? Um, some Irish guy. Oh, <laughs> I can't remember it, his name. It, it feels like that though, right? Where yeah. there's like find a greater purpose in life by letting go of all the things that you think life is about. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um. Yeah. It's just beautiful. I'd recommend it too. Ten out of ten. Ten Wonderful out of ten. Movie. Recommend. Well, in that case, ask me the the most important question. Well, if you would recommend this movie, would you also recommend to the Academy that they give this one a rom-com musker? On the ocean. Yes. Uh, You're going to be mad at me because I'm probably going to steal the one you want to do, but I'm going to say best production design. No, no, no. Get, take it. That's okay. great. Best production great. design. Every set in this movie is so fascinating and interesting and just wonderful to lay your eyes on. And it's just, 
I love a movie where the sets have purpose and they're for telling the story and it's not just shooting on location because you can. Like there are scenes where they're just in these stores in New York, but even when they're in the luggage store, it feels like hallowed ground when he's in this mm-hmm. luggage store and it feels mm-hmm. very intentional. But mm-hmm. there's times where like all like we pan down the these apartments and all the apartments are lit up with these just kind of like fluorescent rainbow lights and just it's just it's just so evocative the movie looks look wonderful i love it ah it is i i i want to live in this world not live in it maybe parts of it yes Mm -hmm. (laughs) um i want that luggage real bad yeah um well i think i'm actually going to give this best casting yeah um i think Tom Hanks and Meg Ryan obviously go together so well. They're, they're the peanut butter and jelly of our genre. However, this movie got there first. Mm-hmm. Um, so not only did they do that, I think it's so fun that they gave Meg Ryan three different roles to play. I think like your even your ulterior characters are all just like spot on casting, whether it's, you know, Dr. Ellison or Mr. Gran- Granamore or Dagmar. They're just fantastic characters. Nathan Lane, Nathan Nathan freaking Lane, you barely see his face in this movie, but he's perfect as the part of this wacky medicine man. He he doesn't even say anything specifically funny, but he just says one thing and I'm like. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so best casting for best, me. Best casting. Well, with such a cast such as this, can you tell me who you fell in love with? Are there any circumstances in which uh, the two of you might be more than just good friends? truth of it is i loved you from the first second i met you but mostly i hate the way i don't hate you not even close not even a little bit not even at all you have bewitched me body and soul and i love and love and love you i know you know i was so torn between tom hanks and um patricia mm-hmm. patricia patricia um, Hello, Patricia. <laughs> um, just because I think there's something so adventurous yet like comfortable about Patricia and Tom Hanks, while he's like depressed a lot of the times, it's hard not to fall in love with Tom Hanks mm-hmm. just because he is Tom Hanks. Mm-hmm. But since they're characters in a movie, I think I'm going to go for the woman who like wants to live on the sea on this boat and have like a, a disconnection from her dad. And yeah, I don't know. I would fall instantly in love with her. So I'm going to go with Patrasha. Uh, I'm going to go with Dee because she's really cute. <laughs> <laughs> fair, fair, done. <laughs> you needn't say more. But like the, it seems like the kind of thing where if I was stuck at this bullshit job, Dee would be the light of my life of like, at least Dee Dee's there. And yeah. It you, would you go in every day for her. Yeah. So definitely Dee Dee. That's like, uh, have you ever heard the Jonathan Colton song Code Monkey? No. Uh, he's just like, I don't know. There's this, this like, he hates everything about his job, but there's this girl who works at the reception desk and it's like, it's very Jim and Pam. Uh, and so yeah. it, that kind of felt Jim and Pammy here. Well, um, I think we got uh, a couple letters this week, didn't we? Yes. Hey, Flo. Huh? Mail come. Got mail for you. Oh, Pete, you've got mail. You sent me a letter. You've got mail. There's one letter that I feel bad for having to go through this, but we have a correction 
We made some we made some statements a couple episodes ago for Practical Magic, and Kelly. Oh, oh goodness, is this from Rachel? No, 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 no. Oh, whew. Ah. We, ah, she's she's always so cutting. <laughs> we made some mistakes. We accidentally mentioned that there's a song from Shania Twain, but oh, but it was Faith Hill. It was actually Faith Hill. Oh, and we well, yeah. several times said. Uh, Shania Twain and so for that I want to say I'm sorry yeah uh, I mean I think the reason we probably got it wrong is because you and I were so young when they were so big yeah and like how are we supposed to know like yeah and I'm you know I apologize to her I apologize to the audience I apologize to the um, to both the Twainers and the the Hill people as Mm -hmm. the the fans are called Mm -hmm. um you know, you deserve better than us. Yeah, you really yeah. do. Yeah. And, yeah. and we apologize. Um, please forgive us, Faith Hill. Uh, please have faith that we'll get it right next time. <laughs> please uh, have faith, Hill. <laughs> between us two, we will <laughs> endeavor to get it right. Um, did we have any other letters? Um, I think, uh, well, Rachel did write in at one point in time and was just like, hey, guys, um, Practical Magic is, is a book. fun, so you guys is- can shut up. Well, yeah, she she did she did enjoy the the movie more than we did necessarily, but she was also like, read the book. The, the book's really great and different. So. But she proved our point. We're like, well, we didn't read the book, and the movie should have did a better job of bringing in all these things. Because Rachel pointed out all these things, like, well, that's because of this stuff from the book and this stuff from the book. It's like, great, that's not on the screen. It's like my least favorite Harry Potter adaptations, where they're like, so why did Harry just stand there while Snape went past? And it's like, well, in the in the book, what's happening is like Dumbledore's whole in that you you shouldn't have to apologize f- for a movie based on what they didn't show from the book. Yeah, but I I do want you to read the book cuz it sounds like something that you would enjoy. Yeah, I think I might pick it up especially over the winter. Yeah. Um I'm reading Great Expectations right now. Um, Why? <laughs> do you realize that you have a of 1 month old, you don't have to be reading difficult books like that. Well, I'm actually book on taping it. So oh, okay. it, I I need like when I'm up in the middle of the night and yeah. I'm like feeding her, just bouncing her, like having something on in the background where I'm like learning about Pip and what he's doing. I'm like, yeah. this is actually pretty good. I like, I like the book so far. It's actually entertaining. Yeah, my go-to was I just uh, if Theo was not going to sleep, I would just bring him downstairs. He would play around, and I would watch How I Met Your Mother. When when he was a month and a half? No, not that. But oh, like when he was a few months and he could crawl around. I'm like, okay, fine, crawl around. I'm gonna watch some TV. I'm very excited for that. We're gonna need to borrow your. Your weird cage that you guys had for for him. Oh, we still um, need the weird cage. Which oh cage? man, the soft one, the soft. Uh, I don't know. We'll talk about it later. <laughs> the this blanket fort. No, no, we'll talk about it later. Okay. I'll I'll come over and I'll be like, we want that that this thing. Okay, sure. But also, uh, you know, since it's uh, letter time, I got a letter uh, today in the form of a invitation, and. Uh, I went to a nice sexy party um, with a bunch of sexy people, um, oh. all vaccinated, and uh, we all read your script that you posted hey. on Patreon. Um, if you want to read this script, Ryan basically wrote about, Ryan had a response screenplay to my screenplay that I wrote where it's like, this is what it's like being a dad and being a partner with of a one month old. And Ryan wrote kind of what it's about being a dad of a 21 month old. Mm-hmm. Yeah, your, your your son's like twenty months older than mine. My, yeah, my my kid isn't that cray? 
It's cray. It's, it's cray cray. It's cray. But it's a it's a great little um, if you're interested in reading screenplays, and you want to know like what the format's all like. Ryan's uh, an expert just like me. And uh, we just wrote kind of like a couple things about what it feels like to be a dad. Yeah. And, you know, we'll probably get back to writing more about, you know, movies and rom-coms and stuff. But we just, you know, needed to take a little bit of screenwriting time. So the other stuff on the Patreon is that we've got our bonus episode in Gilmore Girls Season 2. You can check that out. Uh, in a couple of weeks, we're going to have Gilmore Girls Season 3, where things really get tasty. Ooh. <laughs> and there's uh, there's about, like, ten more of those episodes up there. So you can check out, like, any of our other bonus episodes. They're not all Gilmore Girls-based. But you can also vote um on the movies that we do and you have basically i think we have to pick yes today. yes we do because yeah, we, we have, have to, to figure pick. out what our next movie is so this is it's thanksgiving right now you're listening to happy thanksgiving everybody happy thanksgiving um, thank you so much for listening people who aren't in america happy thursday <laughs> <laughs> so it's it's tea hanksgiving it's our annual tea hanksgiving so for tom hanks that's why we did joe versus volcano so we made another tom hanks choice for you for our bone our patreon no not our patreon bonus episode for just in general next week's episode the patreon people get to vote and they get to pick and they picked uh winning by a landslide is splash the tom hanks daryl hannah Movie that honestly I've only seen once when I was like 11 at my grandma's house. Mm. And so I have no idea what I feel about this movie. Yeah, I'm excited. I feel bad because Turner and Hooch got zero votes. I know. Come on. That's a it's a love story between a man and his dog and that dog and another dog and a man and the lady who owns the dog. It's love all around. Come on. So uh, thank you for voting. Uh, I we need to have a production meeting before we actually put the next poll on there. But there will be a new poll and it will probably have to do with Christmas. It will have to do with Christmas. And actually, I have a whole game um, for you next episode uh, that has to do with Christmas. Excellent. Excellent. So I'm very excited about that. Um, any Anything else? Uh, you know, we're watching Splash next week. Uh, anything you want to tell the audience that you're really thankful for this year? I'm thankful that I quit my job and I'm finding work. So <laughs> You're thankful for you. That's, that's very good for the theme of this movie. <laughs> <laughs> but it's like... I quit my bullshit job, you know, six weeks ago and it's working out for me. It's not, it's not working out in the like highest of highs, but it's kind of like, okay, for like a month after quitting my job, I'm doing the thing that I want to be doing and I'm not quite making the money I want to be making yet, but I I can see the pathway forward and I'm really happy. But you climbed your volcano and you jumped into it. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, you know, maybe, maybe it wasn't as dramatic, but it'll get there. So uh, t- tell us what's uh what's baby update for, for our listeners now that we're at. Oh, baby watch 2021. Yeah. Um, I guess we're at six, seven weeks now. Yeah. She's sleeping, which is great. She's like sleeping in three, three and a half hour chunks, which is just fantastic, man. Mm-hmm. Um, she is not pooping 12 times a day anymore, mm-hmm. which is also great. And uh oh she's not taking a bottle like she she had been taking a bottle every night once a night but now she's not for some reason and so we're we're on that that hero's journey to find whatever (laughs) nipple she actually likes yeah in search of the nipple well kelly in search of the nipples i just want to say man i love you uh and ryan i i think rather than just saying i love you i'm very thankful for your friendship Ah. I thank um, the God of whose name I do not know mm. for your friendship every day. <laughs> I thank it too. So I um, love you. Love you. Love you. 
And this is where we will say a goodbye. Ryan and Kelly must bid you adieu. Thank you for listening to our review. Rate and subscribe, we'll even take a bribe. See you next week on a gentleman's guide. To rom coms. Um, okay. Give me baby. Give me baby or give me death. Oh my gosh. Ugh. Ugh. Ugh.